bouncer says to me, yo, um, what's, why you, um, you trying to get in? I was like, yeah, I'm sitting with the band. And he said, there's no people sitting in with the band. The band is already there. So I said, okay. So I just stayed in line. He was like, why are you still standing online? He said, man, I just want to go in there and play. So he was a um, white guy, um, pretty buff, scary. <laughs> and he, you know, he was the bouncer. So what happened was, is that he's, you know, he wasn't really pleasant. So he started arguing with somebody else and they got into a little scuffle. Meanwhile, they were scuffling. I like walked in and went straight to the stage. Someone tells you that he, a dude just took out his horn and started playing. After I snuck in, you know, after the scuffle is over, that dude can see me in the audience. So the only place I can go was the stage. So my, me going to the stage was like a survival tactic of me uh, being with the band quickly because that dude would have came in and was like, yo, I didn't tell you you could come in. So I like went to the stage, pulled out my horn, started playing, and Ron turned around. And he looked at me like, who the heck is this? Ron Grant. <laughs> I am distracted up here in these details, Mike. <laughs> yeah, man. There's another side. You remember the the, 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 the white dude from um, Long Island? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he was telling me I couldn't come in the club. So now I sneak in. I just, and Kurt, if you remember, I just abruptly came to the stage, right? Nobody didn't tell me nothing. I just started taking out my horn. Now, when the guy finally sees me on stage, and he looks at me like, Arr. and I'm like, oh, I'm already on the stage, and the guy, the guys like me, so now you're just going to have to deal with me. Ever since then, I was a member of that band, and it was because of surviving 22-degree cold for, for an hour and 45 minutes and waiting for my opportunity. someone that they saw had a lot of potential and 
we're going to be the OGs that give you the wisdom and the encouragement to move your career forward. So since you gave that answer, do you think that that still exists for up and coming musicians? And I don't mean whether or not you can go do a jam session, but where you can be with people who are masters at the craft and jump in, play, learn, um, and, and be groomed or nurtured into excellence. Do you think that still exists? Um, yeah, it, it exists. It, is, it exists in different ways. Now, the, the club for me, it's kind of like Instagram for other people. So when somebody sees you and you get the DM and it's like, yo, I'd like to hear what you're doing. I'm producing something. And then that DM turns into a relationship that goes beyond being transactional and a mentorship. Yeah, I think it's just done in different ways. I love, I love the fact that now we have to come under the realization that all of the record execs, the guys that were walking around and talking about, I'm the A&R here, you know I work for this, those big companies are all dissolved. So who are, who are the, the new record company? The new record company is actually the, the artists who had the deal, who have the following that can train people up-and-coming artists to understand the rules of engagement. And even though they've changed, there are some things that are that need to be understood and they're fundamentally the same. Like right. practice, like getting better, like performing live, like speaking, like all of the artist development things. Because you see, when we look at these um, talent shows, um, The Voice... Okay, and, and it's name appropriately the voice. It's not named the performer for a specific reason. You having a nice voice doesn't mean that you're a great performer. So now we celebrate people and they haven't really put together the trifecta of what it is to be a great artist. They've just been celebrated for a microcosm of what it takes to be the complete artist. So that mentorship, you know, um, one one of my favorite moments at Wilson is when Kirk Whalum came down and he was playing with Whitney. I think Whitney came and she was in the back, but Kirk brought his horn, Kirk Whalum. Um, Kirk said, hey man, meet me at 65th Street at my hotel, we're going to practice. I met him at 10 o'clock in the morning the next day on a Monday. Kirk bought me, i never forget, he bought me an Orangina, which was fancy orange juice. I'm from the hood, so when I see Orangina, I'm like, what the heck is this? He said, shake it up, shake it up. And I'm like, these pulps are floating around. He's like, just drink it, it's good. And man, it tastes like soda and orange juice. I was like flipping. I was like, I've never had no rich orange juice like this. <laughs> so, so, and then he gave me a croissant. And then he, he showed me, he's like, yeah, you should just put some butter in it, some jelly. And it was just, it just came out. It was nice and warm. I lost my mind. He took me up to his room and we literally practiced for four hours. That's what I'm talking about. That mentorship that doesn't, that mentorship that isn't transactional, mm-hmm. where you only trans.
transaction that you want is for you to benefit from the information that's being disseminated. So yeah, I think we're in the spot now that being that the, the web and the internet can connect us more, it allows that type of mentorship, even if it's initiated from a different space. Mine was initiated on the ground, you know, then uh-huh. um, now these relationships and mentorships can be initiated from a virtual perspective, but still absolutely um, necessary for those connections and those things to happen. Gotcha. Best thing about being a musician? Man, I, um, I play an inanimate object. So in order for it to have life, I have to have life myself. And I have to blow through it. It's, my instrument is nothing but a. My instrument is nothing but a. Um, what can I? What can I say? My instrument is a. A vessel. It's a translator. It's a translator. So whatever I, whatever I blow, it flows through me. So that's why it's so essential to understand the beauty of that. You know. So now. Your music has to come along with some sort of mission statement. Um, I remember a long time ago, a guy told me, he says, I was making money. I was rocking with Stevie. I was rocking with Prince. Then I got my record deal. I got all of this stuff. So I got this record deal. And one guy said to me, he said, okay, so you're running around. And what are you, um, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And you know what? I had no answer. I had no answer. Why was I doing this? You know, I felt like a rat in the maze running around just getting cheese. That's what it literally felt like because if I couldn't connect with the reason why I'm out here and I'm doing, I'm making money, I'm with Jordan, then you're just, you're operating in such a superficial space where the understanding of your existence and your gift it, it doesn't make for anything that you can call yourself purposeful and complete and complete. So, you know, the once I kind of like looked at everything and I said, you know, this awesome gift that God has given me, um, I want to make people feel happy and empowered and understand the beauty of how God's gift can flow through something into an instrument to make someone feel better than what they already are. anything that has to do with you and some something that contains why 
those are the most honest conversations you can ever have because it's not you, not fronting for the gram. Everything is straight up. Why are you doing this? Are you making money? Is that good enough for you? And it wasn't. So every corporation has a mission statement. You know, Ford Motor Company, quality is job one. Um, there's some other big corporations out there that they operate from a from a foundational um, ideology. And I have to be driven by something that doesn't have a transactional return. So what is my mission statement? I have, that's one of the first things I ask. What's my mission statement? To give people joy and happiness through the gift that God has given me. And now, once I know that, now I can be happy with the understanding of the beauty of my gift and also why I'm happy even having it. Got you. Got you. That's dope. Yes. What's the worst thing about being a musician? Um, I think sometimes you can, um, and it doesn't happen, um, doesn't happen all the time, but at the very beginning, you know, I, I had a good gig and then money ran out and then I was temping. Like I was at this place called 8th Indicole, lifting boxes. And then I get called for a gig and then, then I come back to 8th Indicole. They'd be like, man, you ain't put enough hours, so we don't have to let you go. At that point, the worst thing was the uncertainty. My fear of the unknown was bigger than my faith in what I was going to be. So that now, you know, I'm just, you know, coming up early. It's like you get a, get a gig and then you get a good string of gigs and all of a sudden it's the worst thing is truly understanding that you can go from feast to famine in seconds. Amen. Definitely. That would be, I think that's the worst thing for everybody, but especially those of us that are not working corporate, you know, nine to five lives. Oh yeah. yeah. And then, and COVID has done some interesting things. So every time I walk out, you know, not, and not every time, but I look at, um, and I haven't killed the spider yet. So I'll come out and it spins this web to the left side of my door. And I'll take my broom and I'll knock off the web. And a couple of days later, the web is back. So what that spider is doing is literally instinctively building the foundation that will raise the percentages that it can eat. You know, and just because you spin the most immaculate web and you take your time and spinning it, it doesn't mean that a fly or anything is going to fly into it, but you raise the percentages based on something being so part of your DNA. So I look at me using that broom to knock over that web because that web was so inconvenient to my existence. So mm-hmm. guess what? Um, COVID was the broom for all of us. Mm-hmm. So we were spending, I can't tell you how much money I lost. So I'm spinning this web, new record come out. I'm killing the game. The record is popping. I got gigs, which can add up to about 500 grand worth of dough. And I'm like, I'm carrying 
do this joint. I'm going to get this Tesla. You know what I'm saying? I can't wait to cast these checks from these gigs. And then all of a sudden, COVID came with the broom and knocked knocked down the web that I was intricately weaving for the benefit of me eating. So as soon as COVID knocked my web down, instinctively, I came back out and started again. And as you know, as soon as D Nice started doing those club quarantines, I was the first musician um, between me and Fred, the first musician that played. Because I said, yo, I don't even want to, I want to spin a smart web, not just, just doing it where I'm not going to eat. So when Derek said, Derek said to me, hey, yo, man, here's my password, here's my email, log on to my IG, get a band and rock. It instantly gave me a level of virtual credibility that I moved over the corporate. So when I do the private show for IBM, they was like, oh, Mike, yeah, yeah, he just did this drive for D-Nice. Yeah, I saw him. So now it it it, um, it steamrolled into something else that I wouldn't give away for free because if you want that privately, then you're going to have to come see me. But again, that web, COVID knocked that down. I came out the next day and was like, I, I can't instinctively not raise my chances to raise the percentages. But there are some people that, you know, they're a little bit slow and you know, they don't want to build another web. For me, let me tell you something. There's no choice because this is how we all eat. So the scary part about that is the uncertainty and uncertainty was the theme of 2020 how many people can how many people can can survive the uncertain times of 2020 how many of you entrepreneurs are real entrepreneurs are the ones that were just surviving off of the convenience uh, and i always say it's the it's the um um the Persian cat syndrome, where, and Kirk can attest to this, um, Clyde Davis, um, um, Tommy Matola, he used to send artists to us, and we used to play for them. And they got the budget, you know, they come in, and some of them are arrogant, some of them are cool. But when you get funded all your life, and when things are extremely convenient, that convenience is almost like the Persian cat who is, who has the um, apartment, you know, his owners have the apartment on the East River. Um, you know, you got declawed, you domesticated, you eat out of crystal, and then you you have a nice window view looking at the East River. And all of a sudden, the next day, that same Persian cat has to be in the alleyway. And then who does that Persian cat see? Me, Raheem Devon, Eric Robeson, um, Leela James, the real scrappers. So now the business and the convenience of your business can't even save you because you weren't um, you weren't used to the work ethic. So the same cat that was killing back in the days now your now your coat is matted. Oh, because you can't go to the groomer, can't go to the groomer every couple of days. So I really feel. We have to be able to navigate this thing 
but also it's going to be a separation between the haves and the haves not not because you have or you have not so whether you have the hustle or not now this or the heart yeah this person this new person cat you can't even climb a tree no more because you remember you got domesticated and you got you declawed so the little you can eat but the little rat is running in front of you and you can't even grab it because you got declawed you're worried about how you look and your your coat is matted meanwhile me and eric roberson we're knocking over some garbage cans now we might not get the whole piece of fish but hey somebody left this let's get that let's piece this together i see raheem in the alley i see um, Avery Sunshine in the alley, we all rolling up our sleeves and understanding that we don't have an inflated sense of self-worth and we just going after it. So you cannot let the comfort zone that 2016 and 17 put you in to dictate whether you're going to hustle hard or, uh, now or not. I, I totally understand. Um, the thing with me for COVID is that I needed the break. I was like, God, how do I stop doing events without stopping doing events? You know what I mean? Like, I just need to pause. So the pause for me, I was okay with it. And then, you know, everybody's like, aren't you going to do virtual? I'm like, I don't want to do Instagram live. I don't want to get all dressed up <laughs> to not go nowhere. I don't understand that I'm putting on a full, you know, you're a guy. So we got to put on a full face of makeup, do the hair and at least dress from the waist up. You know what I mean? So I just really wasn't into it. But Clubhouse is everything to me. Um, and so this allowed me to pause and then really, really think about how was I going to do this and make it make sense? So that that's the thing that I like about Clubhouse, but I'm totally with you. I needed the pause. If I didn't need the pause, I would have figured it out. But I needed I needed to pause for a minute. So but I totally understand what you're saying. Like you have to pivot and do what you have to do if you're passionate about it because you want to make sure that your artists are still, you know, getting what they're supposed to be getting or at least trying to get something while we're down. So, next question. Have you ever been so overwhelmed that you had tears after a show? Like, what show was that that you're like, yo, that was amazing? I mean, I guess every show is draining. Um, it's physical. I'm blowing life into a horn. So it's it's very different. Um, you know, but I would say... I think for for, for um, the second term of Barack, I got called in to play at the um, at one of the inaugural balls for the Washington Post, which was one of the official balls. Um, that was around January twentieth, and my mother had passed on January eleventh, and then right after that, I was flying to my mother. Um, right that right right after the inauguration, I was flying to Jamaica for my mother's um, funeral. Um, that was one of the most emotional shows because my mother would always say, "Oh yeah, you're gonna be, you know, your gift is gonna give you room in front of um, kings and queens and princesses and presidents." And I'm here playing. 
and you know it was like a fulfilling prophecy that she couldn't see executed so it was like kind of one of those things where mama I'm doing exactly what you thought I would do mm -hmm. the emotion the emotion came in with the fact that she couldn't be there right yeah, that definitely would be a thing. But she was there. She was watching. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, sure she was definitely there. And, and uh, let me tell you how numbers work, which is crazy. So I did a profile on me. I'm on my, my Instagram, I have this thing called uh, Expressions in Black, um, where I just did it for the NBC. NBC kind of like um, followed me around. So I filmed it on my mother's birthday, which was November third and they hit me with an email um, like last week that was like you know what um your um the episode is going to air january 11th and so my mother was born november 3rd and she passed january 11th what in the wow. chances that when you film an episode on her birthday and it airs on the day that she passed so those things that happen with those things that happen on that level it's only god really mm -hmm. sending you some uh, they're not subtle reminders that listen mm -hmm. um uh, mommy that you miss she's still oh, pay attention to those numbers because she's right. she's in the numbers game and she's watching you so if it, it was um a pleasure even this year to for that episode to come out exactly on the day that my mother passed. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Favorite Stevie Wonder song? Oh, gosh. Um, <sighs> this is hard, man. Um, <laughs> that's hard. And you know why? Because it's worse for me because I've played with him for years. He's like Godfather to my kids. Um, I've watched how I've watched how his songs affect people and affect him while he's affecting people. So mm -hmm. I, I would think um, I would say overjoyed. say loves and we love today but now i have to go re-listen uh overjoyed yeah that is a beautiful song all right um why the saxophone that was a way for me to get out of class <laughs> so like how did that happen how did that happen wasn't no master plan like this dude the music teacher came in i was in second grade and 
I remember I was doing some math problem, and he was like, does anybody want to come to the music? Um, anybody want to come to the band room and sign up for a um, band? And he was like, come on now. I was in the middle of a problem. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> wow, do and you remember that teacher's and, name? Yeah, Dr. Steinberger. Okay, all right. And um, he was a um, German dude with a toupee. Dr. Steinberger. So whatever you think he looked like, he looked just like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Dr. Steinberger just, you know, he basically, um, I wanted to play, um, wanted to play trombone actually because I was, I admired um, the trombone players because okay. they would get to be at the front of the line because you couldn't, have the slides and you'd hit somebody in the head if you were in the middle of the line being a trombone player. So trombones always have to be in the front. Okay. So when they hit, when they do the slide, they won't have anybody else to hit in the back of the head or the back. Gotcha. Um, they ran trombones and I was, they was like, they gave me a sax. I was like, I don't want this. <laughs> and then after a while, I was like, man, forget it. Let me just play this. And that's literally now it happened. That's absolutely crazy and hilarious all at the same time. So basically, right now, if you would have been able to be who you wanted to be, you would have to walk with a really big ass instrument. Yeah, and I'm, it wouldn't really work out the way you yeah. would out with the sax. Yeah, exactly. I would have I switched the sax anyway. I would have been like, enough of this trombone. All right, so if not saxophone, if not a musician, then what? What would you have done? Or what would you do? Or, or even in addition to playing, like, is there another dream? Yeah, I mean, I want to be a meteorologist. <laughs> really? A yeah. meteorologist? You're serious? I'm, I'm dead up. I used to wake up when I was eight years old, I used to look at the stars. I knew all my constellations. I know I knew cumulus clouds. I knew weather systems. I was just like, I was on my grind to be a meteorologist. And and here's the crazy thing. Um, now when I look at it, when I'm playing the show, you have people that want to feel what Mike Phillips is about. Then you have people that are in the crowd, they might be musicians. They want to hear what, what Mike Phillips is about. And, you know, you got the jazz police that's, you know, um, judging every note. Um, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of like, I, I just know that, um, you know, you, I, I got to be very, um, I got to be very intentional in, in in what I do and what I play. Okay. All right. I'm still stuck on the meteorologist. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I wanted to be a meteorologist. I can see and, it and though. Just, and just and, I can see it. And just peep this when you look at it. When I play a show, when uh, I, the point I was trying to make is when I play a show, you got people listening. You got people judging, or you got people enjoying. See, with a meteorologist, um, they don't have to be right. 
they be, you know, they be like, it's supposed to be 40 degrees and rainy, and it's going to be 50 and sunny. Which mm-hmm. means, like, in my job, if I start hitting wrong notes, you're not going to bring me back to the B-side. Right. Meteorologists, they can be wrong all day. They be on the news next day like that, that like they wasn't wrong. Well, I missed that, didn't I? I have a feeling that if you were to become a meteorologist, you would never be wrong because you are I mean, perfectionist. But, but, you know, they're going off a model. So it's you're only as good as what the satellite done told you to tell your people. So, okay. like, yeah, they'd be like, man, listen. Um, I, I guess you. I guess I missed that. It was sunny, and I told you it was gonna be raining. So imagine if I can. Imagine if we all could have a job that we can be wrong and still work. Mm, okay. I mean, yeah. yeah so that would be amazing. Safe. Yeah, like you know, with <laughs> an architect, you know, you you calculate something. That would wrong. be a problem. That's a bridge. That's a problem. <laughs> oh, yes, well. it's happened. It happened in Miami. Yeah. Lord have mercy. What was the first song that you learned how to play, and how old were you? Oh, man. Um, I think Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. That was like, um, no, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Mary Had a Little Lamb. That was like right out the box, like the first day. Okay. I expect to hear the hip-hop version of Mary Had a Little Lamb next time you come. On the B side, okay. I don't know. I don't know about the rock that. All right, we're getting to the end, so we're going to get to the Q and A with the people shortly. So, uh, if you have your rant, your hand raised, I see you. I will be bringing you to the stage. Feel free to ping some people into the room um, that you feel should be here, or that you want to tell you want to let them know that the amazing Mike Phillips is right here on Clubhouse with us. He's going to be doing some. Um, chats live on the b-side some stories about his touring with prince and michael jackson and stevie wonder and vibing with all the musicians so make sure all my singers my musicians my fans of music make sure that you follow mike phillips right now um so that when he starts doing his rooms you can join in okay so mike these are the hard questions it's only two of them what is your best b-side memory um, best B-side memory was, um, musicians, um, I remember we were right at the edge of the timeline for, um, doing the show, and I think, um, two out of the three musicians were, like, traffic and a lot of stuff, you know, it was, it, it gets crazy when you're down at the Hard Rock, wasn't on yeah. Planet Hollywood, right? No, Hard Rock. Hard Rock Hollywood. Uh, piano. Rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hard Rock. Yeah, so Piano Bar. So, man, and then what made it so memorable, because I'm tripping. You know me. I need to get rehearsal in, blah, blah, blah. They're like, you, you know, Mike, we um, really got everything down, and I didn't rehearse. So I was like, I don't like rehearsing when people are coming into the venue, so I just said, forget it. No, y'all just, whatever the show is going to be, is going to be. Yo, they turned around, um, Alan and the crew killed it, killed it. One of my favorite memories, because it's, it's like, okay, no matter how much you prepare, if, if it's meant for things to come together, if they just come together in a way where you can't really micromanage or control it, 
So I let it go. I was like, all right, I guess this won't be a typical Mike Phillips show. It's like, whatever. And it was banging because they came. They were late, but they came prepared. So my thing is, don't be late. But if you're going to be late, be be so prepared that it um, it balances your lateness out to the fact that the show must still will go on mm-hmm. a way that um, the artist can be really happy for it. And I'm telling you, I am I am extremely anal. Like, really? If, if I if I if, <laughs> if working with Michael, Stevie, and Prince, and listening to what they heard, and then me having my things on top of that, um, I don't like you know. I'm very particular. I don't want musicians playing in the same frequency. So if there's a particular frequency that the bass is in, I don't want no clavinet. I don't want no other instrument being nowhere near it because I I feel that it's like independent runways. If you ever went to an airport, Mm -hmm. I feel frequencies and parts that musicians play have their own runway. And I can't have an airplane coming in while one is going out on the same runway. Right. So I'm very particular about not only you play parts, but you need to play your part. And that part has to stay out of the way, part-wise, note-wise, and frequency-wise, away from the other instrument. So when it all comes together, we're... Where which we just feel like it's cohesive, and learning, watching, and watching, and Prince rehearsals, and not only that, I would Prince would take me back and be like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this song. I'm gonna do this song." I had the pleasure of going over set lists with Prince, and he would explain why he would do one song in front of the other. So I, I kind of like now when I put the, a set together. The set has to tell a story. I have to have peak and valleys, and I have to end on Mount Everest. I, and then your ending, you walk away from. Right. You don't. You don't ever come back and wear out the ending that happened that is on Mount Everest. And this is the experience for the people. So at this point, it's not about you. It's about the people. You leave them on top of Mount Everest every time. And when I when I would just look at Prince and watch him climb that mountain and leave everybody there and say good night, man, listen, you couldn't tell me that he wasn't the great one of the greatest performers of of our time. location on the b-side because i think once you started coming you've been to everyone since like i don't even remember i feel like you started at vlada but i, I could I be did. wrong but um okay. hard rock hard rock 
Hard Rock is def yeah, Hard Rock is everybody's that, favorite. Yeah, the room, the room is acoustically built just where the piano was. You got the glass and the and the and the sound bouncing off of that, but in a room that was really it was just cozy and it felt like your living room. Yes. So Mike, when I was like, when can you do the interview? You chose the day, right? I didn't choose the day. And today is January 13th, 2020. And four years ago today, we did the last Flow Fridays at Piano Hollywood and you were the feature. And of course, I didn't know that until Time Hop told me today. And I'm like, how poetic is that? That we do this interview to document the 20th anniversary of the B-side. And you have really been there for most of my anniversaries. You already know that whenever this anniversary happens, I definitely need you in the building. Um, so I thank you so, so much for um, always supporting me when I was up or down. Um, you, you've rocked with me and supported me simply because... You, uh, I think, respect and appreciate the fact that all I want to do is push the music forward and support the music. And I thank you for that immensely. Um, so, yeah. I want to rock with you all I can't. <laughs> all right, everybody. I rock, this, I, I rock with you. I rock with you, too. This is Mike Phillips. This is...